Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to Staying Power, a show about resilience. What it is, what it isn't, how do we know if we have it, what do we do if we realize we don't have it or we don't have as much of it as we would like. Whatever the case may be, resiliency is a choice. And here once again to talk with me about all our experiences and ideas uh, that have come from helping people around the world develop resiliency is my friend, my colleague, my co-host, Tawny Santabria. Hello, Tawny. How are you? I am doing just great. How are you? I'm. You know what? I'm doing pretty well. I'm. Uh, there's uh, been a lot of stuff going on, um, some challenges for some friends of mine and things like that in the health realm, but um, there's been good news on that front as of today, so I'm feeling good about that, grateful for that and happy. And of course you get reflective on your own life in times like that. And mm-hmm. so I've had some, had some good conversations with myself and other people about that. So, um, you know, all part of that bounce back, right. With those difficult mm-hmm. things that we talk about on this show. So a show about resiliency. Um, how about you? You're doing well. Yeah, doing well. Um, gosh, yeah. It caught, caught me off guard. What am I, what am I up to? I'm just, you know, trying to get my garden going and, and, um, you know, hanging out with, with the grandbabies. So oh, pretty yeah. much doing just anything, anything that I enjoy doing is what I'm just I'm sticking to it. Yeah, absolutely. So. Absolutely. Why not? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, you know, on a show about resiliency, you know, we can talk about so many things. Let's talk about so many things, you know, and I was, I was, um, as you know, Tony, I do a lot of reading. It's one of the things I like to do. And I, I love, I love that there are so many stories about resiliency that are out there, um, you know, and so many of them are inspiring. We talked a little bit about it last week, right? That there's so many of them, but I came across a story this week that I'm not sure is as inspiring. Um, and I'm not, and I, I didn't really know what to do with it when I was started thinking about, is there resiliency in this? And, and not that that needs to be the litmus test for every single thing, but it was this, it was a very human story. And, um, I think it would be interesting to chat a little bit about it, tell you a little bit about the story. It's a true story like last time. Um, and, but it really brought up a lot of different things. I'd like to see maybe what, what comes out of it in a conversation. What does that, how's that sound to you? Yeah, that sounds great. And I love true stories. You love true stories. I know. I love true stories. Okay. Okay, good. Well, well, this one, this one is true, but what's interesting about it is, is the, the person that it centers around some questions came up uh, later in her life about her own truthfulness, which I, which was part of the, part of the story about this. Um, have you ever heard Tawny of a, of a writer named Lillian Hellman? You ever heard of, Mm, I'm not sure I'm familiar. Okay. She was a playwright and screenwriter in the 20th century, born in 1905. And, um, by the time she was 25, she was an up and coming, uh, writer of various kinds and wanted to write plays. And, um, she was, she was very, she described herself and had many people describe her when she was young as pretty nondescript. Um, she didn't consider herself to be really attractive. Other people didn't really consider her, I guess, to be attractive compared to her, her contemporaries. And so she wrote in part because this was a form of expression for her and a real emotional release for her. And she wrote about this in some memoirs later in life when she was pretty famous. And so that's mainly what we know. Um, but she was, um, she was 
moving herself up in the playwright world, which was New York City. And this is, you know, late 1920s. So the Depression's going on. The writers like F. Scott Fitzgerald and others were really big names. And she was kind of hobnobbing with some of these groups and but really trying to get her plays produced. Right. And to do that, you did that in New York or you did that in Los Angeles. And so she was moving back and forth with that. And in 1930, uh, she met a guy named Dashiell Hammett. Do you know that name, Tawny? I'm not meaning I to quiz not. you. I just no. You know, okay. Mm-mm. Dashiell Hammett, most people have heard of when you say he wrote the book that became the movie The Maltese Falcon. Sam Spade, right? He created that. Now, Dashiell Hammett was an interesting guy. He was uh, 11 years older than than Lillian Hellman, and he wrote those kind of those kind of tight, high intensity. Uh, gumshoe novels, right? Sam Spade was one of them. And he had been a detective actually in San Francisco in the 1920s. And that's where he got the idea. And he ended up writing these, you know, five or six really well-selling novels in the 1930s that made him this big name. He met Lillian Hellman in 1930 and they struck up what ended up becoming, depending on who you ask, a 30-year relationship, situationship, off and on, kind of thing. They never got married. They were together for a while. Then other times they weren't. He had a lot of issues with alcohol and with drugs. He had been in World War I and had gotten tuberculosis and so was very sickly, um, but and had established a reputation by the 1930s in a time of really heavy drinking. He was a heavy drinker. Like everybody knew he was that and all the volatility that came with that. Um, and he was very much a womanizer, very, um, very unpredictable. And yet they struck up this, this friendship, starting with a conversation at a dinner event about Bing Crosby that led into a big discussion one night about T.S. Eliot. And before you know it, not only are they spending a lot of time together, but he's helping her write and produce her plays. And in 1934, she wrote and released a play called The Children's Hour, which is considered one of the great plays of the 20th century. And it was really aggressive in challenging social norms. Um, it was a story about two women who ran a, uh, a school for girls who were accused by one of the students of having a relationship, right? A very taboo relationship in the 1930s, right? And so it was all about themes about lying and telling the truth and people owning who they are and what's wrong with the you know, challenging social mores of the time. And she and Dashiell Hammett kind of lived that way. They were very open about this affair they were having. She was married when she met him. He was a well-known philanderer. And they were very honest about all of this with each other. And what ended up happening is they had this long connection where through the 1930s, she was starting to help, you know, Jews get out of Nazi Germany. He was off being famous and writing and all the self-destructive things that we normally associate with that. And yet they kept staying connected and they would have these moments of and these times of really deep affection, connection, growth, so much so that people around them were saying, this is the most in love couple we've ever seen. And then they would have on the flip side, just these explosions of anger and discontent and separation, but then longing. And, you know, there was a lot of stuff that I think a lot of psychologists would have a field day with uh, these things. The reason why I found it interesting is, is, you know, he ends up, he ends up, um, he's in World War II as well, and he gets sent to the Aleutian Islands. 
They both were card-carrying communists in the 1940s, so they were they were apologists for Stalin. The 1950s, they got hauled before the House Un-American Activities Committee during the McCarthy hearings about what they had done. She had gone to Moscow in World War II and been paraded around Moscow and photographed, you know, and then, you know, refused to denounce people in the 1950s. And she she was unapologetic about everything she did and how she did it. And so was he. And that stood out at the time that their their affair, if we're going to call it their relationship, was a scandal. For 30 years, people kept talking about it, almost to the point of in the papers that people would roll their eyes about it. And be like, oh, that whole thing with them again. Da, 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 da. They are no longer household names, right, today. But at the time, it was kind of the, I guess they would get the kind of fanfare that we're used to seeing on, you know, magazine covers, social media, that type of thing. Um, and And so what I found... I don't even know if it's disconcerting or not, or I just wondered about was here are these people who are unflinchingly honest and were proud of that. Right. And were open about that and, and took all the challenges about this. And yet their, their story is held up. Books have been written about it. In fact, the most famous book is called the legendary passion of Lillian Hellman and Dashiell Hammett. And I read this book and I'm going, what is legendary about this? You know, other than this outright honesty to the point of bluntness, but also seemingly self-destruction and a whole lot of other lying to themselves in the midst of all this. Um, And so the reason why I thought it was good for this is I was first introduced to this story by a friend of mine who at the time years ago was giving me relationship advice <laughs> and said, you really should look into this relationship between <laughs> Lillian Hellman and Dashiell Hammett because two very independent people is how they were pitched. Two very independent people who'd lived their own lives and they still stayed connected and they didn't ask the other person to be somebody that they weren't and they were honest about the things that they disagreed upon and they were always keeping their agreements, right? Always keeping their agreements. And I was looking into that recently again for the first time in a long time. And I'm going, I don't even know what to make of this. You know, um, they were celebrated for having this relationship of some sort until he passed away. But she died a number of years later, searching for a husband to the end of her life resenting him for never really giving her what she had really wanted, which was, you know, him in all of that, that he had always set the ground rules. That's what one play that was written about them said and and put it forward as. And then she wrote a bunch of memoirs that about that all these people that she wrote about said, that's not what happened. And it happened in every single one. And she finally came out towards the end of her life and said, I told the truth as I experienced the truth, which in retrospect had very little to do with fact or truth, but that's how I saw it. And she wanted to write memoirs that weren't so much about having a nice thing at the end. Here's everything I've learned. Here's all the struggles I've gone through. And she thought that raw was more honest to the point where the words don't matter so much as what the words suggest or what's in between them. So that story to me is not, you know, I wanted to, tell you this story that had nothing to do really with 
<laughs> with, I don't know what successes are in there, but they are held up as this resilient, honest, you know, couple that this was something to be admired and it was pitched to me as such, you know, how, so mm -hmm. any clarifications you need, let me know, but <laughs> <laughs> well, there. If, if we were going to really try to understand this, there would be a need for a lot of clarification. <laughs> but I, I, you know, you mentioned the word honesty several times, and and mm -hmm. I don't think this is about honesty at all. Mm -hmm. I think this is about being able to be reactionary. Mm. I think that this is about being able to um, or desiring to get needs met. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, from a, from our own, our own place, getting our own needs met. Mm -hmm. um, if it really was about honesty and it really was about agreements and sticking with their agreements, I think what you said, yeah. then there wouldn't have been the resentment after his death mm -hmm. um, that she felt um, that he was, you know, that 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 he was never able to give her what she really wanted, mm -hmm. right? So, and and there wouldn't have been if there were agreements. Met, if the agreements were met, then there wouldn't have been the need for a lot of, you know, of the explosions or the conflict. Now, certainly lots of people enjoy the big, intense moments. Mm -hmm. And we as humans, the rest of us that are the spectators of this, if there's not the big, huge, intense moments, both up and down, we get bored. Mm. So if we're watching this, if they're legendary, if they've got a lot of people focused on the goings-ons of their life, then it's going to be important that it live that they live big and large. Because uh, mm -hmm. what else? Are we, we're not going to watch it if it's not that. <laughs> so, like an awareness of the bigness of it for those two. Well, well, they, um, they, there, there was feedback. We get feedback every, out of mm -hmm. all the things that we do in our lives. We're getting feedback constantly, right? Mm -hmm. And so that feedback gives us information about, okay, am, am I getting the needs that I am looking for to some degree? Do I keep, you know, and not that this is all happening on a conscious level. A lot of it is happening subconsciously. Like, you, you know, we're, we're reacting to, to feedback. And if we're getting attention if there's a need that we have based off of you know lots of different parts of our history again we don't know much about the history of either one of them as children you know that mm -hmm. gives us a lot of good information about what it is that we're seeking in our adulthood mm -hmm. mostly on a subconscious level yeah so if there's a need for attention or if there's need for a lot of change or a lot of adventure or a lot of conflict or a lot of passion or a lot of you know angstness and a lot of like like, you know, just the, the, the emotional sort of wave of ups and downs, then, and we have the capacity to make that happen in our experience, we're going to do that. Yeah. That's not always a, for a min, for a lot of us, that isn't always like a terrible thing. If we've mm. got, if we're wired naturally, so not just even conditioned, but if we've got sort of like some wiring naturally internally, um, where we feel things deeply, we might naturally go into these spaces of intensity. 
Okay. If we're not wired for a lot of emotion, we're going to move away from those mm-hmm. experiences. We're going to be like, whoa, mm. no, I'll go over here into my nice quiet <laughs> space. <laughs> and all of that emotion can go over there <laughs> into that emotional space. <laughs> So it sounds like they both had some sense of that emotional sort of intensity. Oh, yeah. Probably being familiar to them. Yeah. And meeting a need for them. Mm-hmm. But honesty, mm, I'd question. I'd question that actually. But mm-hmm. I don't know any more about them than what you just shared. So if I did know more, I would know more. Well, right? well, I, I think you're onto something because I was questioning it too. You know, and, and, and not only questioning it just on reading it, but questioning on how it was pitched to me originally, you know, because cause that's how, and this was advice, you know, and I, I, I ended up wondering later on, I said, does this person really know who these people are? Did they, did they read? Because what, what is this about? And he was trying to be helpful, right? He was trying to encourage me as, a, as an independent person who was creative and as a writer to be, you know, and thinking about the kinds of relationships I wanted to have to recognize that maybe being with somebody who had, similar emotional makeup, similar, you know, a similar independent side, that type of thing. I think that's what he was trying to do. And so I liked the idea of that right here, these two writers particular, right? I'm a writer Mm -hmm. as well. I liked that idea. And then the more I read into it, the the more I read about it, I was going, wait a minute, I don't like this. (laughs) You know, I don't, you know, the, the, there were a lot in the dynamic that was uncomfortable for me. And I was having to strain myself to see the honesty part. And I, of course, was picking up on a lot of things about their relationship that really felt um, dishonest with themselves, first of all, right? There was a lot of jealousy about what was going on, a lot of deception, a lot of, um, a lot of argumentation, a lot of hurtful things said and done. Um, and yet, it was put forward at the time and by many people as this amazing relationship that ha- that could last in all of this. And maybe that's particular to the, dra- the drama of writers and other people who, like you said, respond to big emotions and intensity and, and therefore think that is meaning. You know, I don't know, but uh, I question the honesty too. <laughs> and, and, and it depends on, um, the stories of, love right with that we've been attracted to mm-hmm. is is intense love yeah right is okay they their passion for each other is so great that they can withstand all of the junk that they throw at each other and all of the damage that they create mm-hmm. and somehow there's some sense of that being love Mm -hmm. and i don't know if i don't if if that's not the kind of love that anybody that's listening or any either one of us is looking for (laughs) then (laughs) then you wouldn't want to to you know use this as a model um but but certainly um if that's the kind of love that was that a lot that that the people who sort of looked at this story had witnessed before in their life, or that's the kind of love that these two sort of witnessed 
for uh-huh. themselves in their life growing up, mm-hmm. then it then it makes sense that this is how you do that kind of relationship. And as long as we stick it out in some way, we've gotten what we wanted out of you know our relational experience in life. But it doesn't sound like she experienced what she was looking for relationally. No. Um, at that, at least at the, towards the end of her life, when she reflected back and, and, and we do get a lot of perspective at the end of our life as we reflect back, mm-hmm. um, that, that helps us get some clarity. Um, so yeah, so, so that's that part also, um, there was another part that you mentioned that I was going to ask about also, but now I just... Um, it, I just left, left me. So I guess it's not, not, uh, not in the cards for us today. (laughs) Yeah, no, that's okay. There's, there's a lot to it. I think, I think, um, you know, context matters so much. And, and one thing I'm, I'm, I ask myself too, with these stories, when I look into them is what are they learning growing up? Right. What you mentioned. And she learned from a very young age that, that, um, the love of another man, starting with her father who didn't give that to her was the most paramount thing, right? And then, of course, she she felt she owed him a debt because Dashiell Hammett helped her become a, the playwright, what she wanted to be. And so there was, an, there was a mentor-mentee relationship with that and a devotion to that and a, and a sense of um, owing, I think, in that or wanting more of that. And I, the, the more I looked into it when I actually said it, or the sadder it got, um, because it, it, it was something that I understand that part of human nature, right? Those desires for that. And he was too busy medicating all the pain that he had mm-hmm. from growing up. I mean, he was gone. I mean, when he first met her, he was already out of control and was pretty clear about who he was, <laughs> you know, and, and, you know, and continued to be that way, you know? And so, yeah. yeah and it, it's just, it was just something that, that the, I found really sad in, in reading what she wrote towards the end of her life, mm-hmm. feeling defeated it's, and lost. Mm-hmm. It, you know, it's a great example of how we replay parts of our lives. If, you know, if that relationship with her dad wasn't one where she felt, you know, good enough, loved enough, valuable enough, taken care of enough, mm-hmm. those kinds of things, then that can get replayed in adulthood. Mm-hmm if we're not careful, right? And then it looks very desperate. It looks very dysregulated. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and so there's, there's all sorts of roads that our lives take us on and, and starting to kind of see those themes play out over and over and over again mm-hmm. um, can give us a lot of clues around um our own potential agency to to make some some differences moving forward mm-hmm. in our lives. Oh, that's the that's the thing I remember you I was going to address is like that that comment that she made in that you said about memory yeah. or about her perspective of truth. Mm-hmm. Like our memory isn't actually very good. Right. When we when we think back and and so then when we think back on a particular memory, we're also muddying it up with memories before and memories since. Mm-hmm. And so oftentimes we can remember something very different than how it actually happened mm-hmm. based off of, you know, how those themes play out over and over and based off of sort of 
like our experiences since. And, and that's, we don't have time to get into all of that, but, but yeah, so, so that, that makes a whole lot of sense that, that people would say, yeah, that's not true. And she basically said, I remembered it how I wanted to. Yeah. Yeah, she did. <laughs> and you know, what's interesting is, is um, one of those stories ended up being made into a film, uh, 1975 movie, uh, Julia with Jane mm. Fonda and Vanessa Redgrave mm-hmm. was, mm-hmm. it was pitched as a real life story. And it turned out not to be. In fact, somebody came out and said, that's actually my story. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and they, mm-hmm. it turns out it was another actress or another writer. They had the same agent and mm-hmm. they, she probably picked up the story from that, you know, that, that yeah. type of thing. So yeah, that's something else to, to, to maybe we can talk about at some point that, uh, cause I find that fascinating, right. With memory, mm-hmm. but you know, and mm-hmm. I think the, the thing as we, as we finish up here is, is, you know, the looking at, to me, I found the whole story um, so much intensity and sadness and pain and desire and wanting things to be different and shooting for some, particularly for Lillian Hellman, you know. Um, and um, she lived a whole life that way. You know, mm-hmm. the, the difficulty of, of doing the things that it can take to bounce back or to examine or anything like that. People can live lives that way. And then be celebrated mm-hmm. for it weirdly in retrospect. Um, you know, it was just such a strange, it was just such a unique story. I wanted to put it in here and just see what, see what came out of it. Yeah. Yeah. People are living all kinds of different lives. Yeah. And, and living them and with longevity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 And, and uniquely their own. Mm-hmm. And so when we get caught up in sort of like, this is the way to live, that's not, necessarily desired with this or that like like anytime we we have our own sense about this is the way you're supposed to live that might be this is the way i'm supposed to live Mm -hmm. because this is the way i'm choosing to live but 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 other people are designed differently and are and are living a life so sometimes when we even look i know we're almost running out of time but sometimes even when we look and we go oh my gosh that was such a sad story well not necessarily Mm. um because there was a lot of adventure in that Oh yeah. There was a lot of intensity, a lot of emotion. And if that was the road with which her experience was to be, then, then there was some, probably some enjoyment there too. It wasn't all a sad story. Oh no, that's very clear. Yeah, that's very clear. <laughs> that's, we don't have time for that part, but she yeah. had a lot, yeah, but they both did. So that, that's yeah. the other part. I appreciate yeah. that at the end, Tawny. Thanks. Um, thanks so much for that. Um, and that was a true life story. So I'll, I'll remember that going forward. So, uh, we hope all of you enjoyed this episode of staying power. Remember if you missed any of this episode or any of these, our, our episodes, you can get this as a podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks so much for subscribing, for reviewing, for sharing with your friends, your family, your social networks, anybody you think would benefit from hearing about different ways that we build resiliency and stories about resiliency in some way, shape or form that can be enlightening and kind of help us along our own individual paths, whatever those might be. We'll be back next week for another episode of Staying Power. Remember, if you subscribe, you get our mini podcast, The Four, right in the middle of the week, four points, four tips on things you can do throughout the week to just kind of see what it does for you in your quest to build more resiliency. Until next week, I am JDK Winnikin. And I'm Tani Santabria. Thanks so much for joining us and listening to that story. Thanks, everybody. 